This episode of Control Alt Delete is brought to you by Lenovo. Every day, rich new veins are created in the big data gold mine. Today, we generate more than 2.5 billion gigabytes of data each day in the form of 205 billion emails, 3.5 billion requests on Google, and 2.7 billion likes on Facebook. Most of that data is stored on nearly 5.5 million servers operated by just 16 companies. It's all big data that business can use to improve products and gain a competitive advantage. Business Day is like being in a game show lightning round. Answer the fastest and you win. Lenovo is creating the next generation data center to help companies more efficiently mine data to uncover insights faster. That requires the ability to store massive amounts of data and the processing performance needed to analyze it. Lenovo server systems are number one in uptime and reliability with a proven track record of superior performance with the big names in data analytics. So learn more about how Lenovo is transforming the data center at www.lenovo.com slash data center. Hello, and welcome to Control Out Delete, a laser focused podcast about lasers and Dieter Bohm. <laughs> that intro comes to us from Ed Swindells on Twitter. It's Ed S W I N D E L L E S on Twitter. Go say hello to him. Say thank you for that. We love it when you send us those. Anyhow, I'm Neil Patel, I'm the editor in chief of The Verge. I'm joined as always by my friend Walter Mossberg, the executive editor of The Verge, co editor of Recode. How's it going, Walt? Great. Right, I just made up that Recode title. It's usually editor at large. Here's another editor one. Editor at large. Editor Look, at large. I'm going to tell oh. the audience right now. We relaunched The Verge yesterday. I've gotten virtually no sleep for two days. So if I'm a little loopy and out there, Walt's just going to have to save me. Yeah. It'll be not as much fun because Eli might miss some of my subtle jokes. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're always so subtle, <laughs> yeah, They're always so subtle. <laughs> I mean, people don't even know that the name he picked from Ed Swindell, is that his name? Swindell's, Swindell. yes. I want to get his name right. Is kind of meta. <laughs> it's, it's. I, I won't even go into it, but it's it's meta about yeah. the redesign. Go look at the redesign and then figure out what the name is. But anyway, <laughs> anyhow, so yeah, we relaunched the Verge. Uh, I encourage everybody to go look at it. It's a bright new design. Uh, it works everywhere that we are. All the platforms that we publish on. Uh, Walt column has a new logo, which I actually have to I have to apply. But everything's cleaned up and better. It's I just I like look at my it. new logo, by the way. I like my new logo. Yeah, it's very cool. This show, however, does not yet have a new logo. We're we're very fond of the logo of this show, so we're we're gonna hold on to it for a minute. Okay. But anyway, Walt, let's talk about your column. So big, huge, momentous week of stuff, new products out in the world. We have both gotten a chance to play with the new MacBooks, not with the Touch Bar, the regular one, the boring one, but I have one. Walt, I believe you have one. I do. I wrote. Um, I wrote my column this week on it. Yep. And even, even though it wasn't about it, but I wrote my my column on it. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about that keyboard, I'm sure. Uh, and yeah. Walt, your column this week. Uh, we both also have Google Homes, the new connected speaker from Google that is a competitor to the Echo. And your review is out. Dan Seifert's uh, Verge review is out. I've gotten to play with it. Uh, it is a fascinating product. So why don't you kind of tell us about that a little bit? Okay, so the Amazon Echo has been out since 2014 and really in mass distribution since 2015. And it's a vessel. It's a word I decided I like to use uh, <laughs> for artificial intelligence. I used it in my review of the Pixel phone, and I think it's true. So Amazon had, Jeff Bezos uh, said, when I interviewed him on stage earlier, they had a thousand people working on developing it, on developing Alexa, which is their AI platform. 
The Echo is a device which was the kind of, and still is, the main device that shows off Alexa and uses Alexa. And it's a speaker, plays music, either through streaming services or you can use as a Bluetooth speaker. But it's also an artificial intelligence device with a seven microphone array. And, you know, you can ask it a question or give it a command from anywhere in the house. It's been a popular item for Amazon. As usual, they haven't said how many they've sold. And I don't think they've sold anything like the numbers that, let's say, Apple or Samsung sell in terms of phones in a quarter. But it's I'm sure it's sold in the millions. And uh, I like mine. I think you and I have agreed in the past that it turns out Alexa at this point in history, like many of the others, is not as smart as we hoped it would be. And so we wind up using it in a more limited way than we might have expected at first. But nevertheless, people like it and it works. Google has now brought out a vessel for its AI (laughs) system that is similar. It's stationary. It's in the house. It plugs into the wall. These are all the same as qualities as the Echo. It looks quite different. It's called Google Home and it costs less. The Echo, there's a couple of different variations of the Echo, but the main one is $180. The Google Home is $129, and it has the Google Assistant in it, which is their AI thing. And just like the Echo, there's a tr- there are trigger words you can use. Supposedly, it's listening all the time, but it's only listening for its trigger word. It's not actually spying on you, supposedly. Yeah. And when you say, in the case of uh, Google Home, when you say, okay, Google, or hey, Google, then it light- then lights on the top of it light up. It's a little, uh, I should explain, it's a little short, uh, attractive, I think, uh, uh, plastic device with a slanted top Mm -hmm. with sort of a translucent surface on the top where you can see lights underneath, colored or white lights that represent different things. And when it's active, when it hears its command trigger word, which you can hear from several rooms away, it lights up. The Echo also has a way of lighting up, just different. Uh, and uh, it tries to, and it speaks to you. Yeah. It'll either play music or a podcast or a radio station, or uh, it will try, try, I stress, to answer <laughs> your question. And, or it will give you a lame excuse about why it can't answer your question. And it also has a couple of other interesting tricks that the Echo does not have. One is that it, if you buy more than one a Google Home device, and I had two to test, uh, uh, you can set them both up in different rooms and they will play the same music if you wish to group them. This is a thing that Sonos has had for a thousand years, uh, but you do it uh, on an app and it works. And the other thing it has that I think you in particular like the idea, at least the idea of Neelai mm-hmm. is – that with your with a voice command, a single voice command, you can cause it to show on your TV through a Google Chromecast device if you happen to have one, which is a I think st- still starts at thirty five dollars, so it's not a big deal. Uh, video or a TV show. Right now, it only works on YouTube. They're promising Netflix by the end of the year. But for instance, I was able to say to it, "Show me the Saturday Night Live parody." presidential debates and it just did that i said that in the to a google home device in the kitchen and in the family room 
on the TV, which ha- which I had pre-tuned to the input for the Chromecast. Boom, those those debate those debate parodies appeared. So that yeah. was cool. You know, what's interesting to me is uh, I was reading your column just now, and that I think a lot of people think it's going to be pretty much the same as the Echo with the additional smarts of Google, right? And I think we have talked about the Google Assistant and Google's relentless focus on this new product and this new way of talking to its search service on the show, I think basically for months now. And so the assumption that I had going in, and I think a lot of our listeners probably have, is that it's going to be just like the Alexa or just like the Echo, but instead of Alexa, it's going to be the smarter Google Assistant. And that is just, A, the actual hardware products are different in meaningful ways, uh, and it's small things. So you were talking about the lights on the top. The Echo, when you say Alexa and the wake word comes on, and I'm sure somebody listening to this at home just had their Alexa light up, um, the light spins around and looks at you, which I think is really neat. The Google Home, it just lights up. So there's that little tiny piece of feedback of, well, it found you, right? And that it turns out, to me at least, to be really reinforcing that it's actually listening to me and it's going to get it right. Whether or not it actually gets it right. I think it looks like a Cylon from Battlestar yeah. Galactica. Uh, and then the other Evil. one is to change the volume. You can either talk to it. You can talk to both of them. But on the Alexa, you just grab it and turn the top and it changes the volume. On the, on the Google Home, you spin your finger around, which is not, to, at least to, for me, not like I much prefer a physical tactile control. But it it's just it's I don't know it's just a lot fuzzier to use. The, yeah, they're, there's also they're... the Google Home has two mics. The Alexa has seven. I Dan Seifert he found the you know the Home to work just as well as his Alexa or his Echo. I keep calling it the Alexa. Uh, he found it to work just as well as his his Echo. I I don't think it works as well. Well, what, what, I what did do you not. Think? Yeah. I did not think it worked as well. And if you read my column, uh, listeners, you'll see that I give you a lot of examples. Um, I think it I, – well, I guess I would say it was more of a toss-up, but yeah. I was more disappointed. And the reason I was more disappointed is that Google has been collecting all this information about the world and about you forever. Mm-hmm. And Amazon knows some things about you. It knows a lot about what you buy, for instance, and knows something about your video and music taste, but not that much Uh uh, I think Google probably knows just as much because of YouTube and so forth, um, maybe more. And so I, you know, it's it's uh, I t- I told this to the folks at Google. I just hold on this kind of a product. I'm gonna I'm holding them to a higher standard of smarts because that's their business, organizing the world's information. That's not Am- Amazon's principal business. That's not. Microsoft's principal business. That's not Apple's principal business. That's Google's principal business. Right. And so uh, I hold them to a higher standard on things like hardware. I hold Apple to a higher standard because that's their principal business. Uh, So uh, given that, I was quite disappointed um, uh, in the things it didn't know. I'll give you an example where if, if the Echo had done this, had gotten this wrong, I would have probably cut it more of a break mentally in you know my mind and my evaluation of it, not even in a column, but just in my feeling about it, just because uh, it didn't it, it didn't come from a company that's organizing the world's information and that has Google, that has a huge mapping service. So here it is. Here's the example. And and by the way, let me just before I give it to you, this example I'm about to give you 
was suggested by the Google PR department that reviewers ask. So, and it was the only one of the ones <laughs> they suggested that I used. So it says, where's the nearest pharmacy? So I said, where's the nearest pharmacy? Now the nearest pharmacy to my house is a CVS. So the, the Google Home said, I found three pharmacies within, I think, two points. I don't know why, but it said 2.6 miles of your house. I don't know why they picked 2.6 miles. Number one was the CVS. That was the correct answer, except they gave the street name wrong, uh, which surprised me. Number two was the Minute Clinic inside the CVS, which is <laughs> not a separate entity and not a pharmacy. Right. So it's a eh, wrong answer. Number three was a supermarket a few hundred yards away in the same shopping center, which does not happen to be one of those supermarkets that has a pharmacy. So if you went there and asked for the pharmacy, you know, they have a shelf, uh, I mean, a row where they sell Advil and, you know, vitamins, but they don't have a pharmacist or a pharmacy in there. Yeah. So, eh, wrong again. <laughs> they left out a Walgreens, which is about a mile away. When I asked Alexa, it gave me the CVS with the correct address and the Walgreens. It's funny because so, Google runs Google Maps. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. They, they know where these things are. It, they do know where these things are. In fact, they, they when I just to double check myself, I asked the same question of the Google Assistant on the my Pixel phone, gave me precisely the same answer and a map. So it's just it's just weird. And now I mean I talked to at Google about it. They said we're still working on it. You know, this is our we just put this out on the market. We need to fix it. But my attitude is they've been doing this for 18 years. Yeah. And while this in particular instantiation of their database of knowledge is brand new and it is voice controlled, how can they not know that? I mean, I, we. this is another theme that I'm, I'm noticing across all of these assistants. They all have the same name and they all go different places, but they're wildly different on whatever platform they are. So Siri on the Apple TV can do basically nothing except for find you TV shows. On the iPhone, it's as full features, I think, as Apple can make it. And on the Mac, it's slightly different. Google Assistant, we talked about this when you, in, in, when you were talking about the Pixel. You open the Assistant on the Pixel phone, it can do a whole bunch of stuff. But then you tap the G logo and Google can do a whole bunch of other stuff. And now on Google Home, the Assistant has a different subset of capabilities. That, to me, is the big danger. I know that they're trying to shape these things for the devices they're on. But if you have a brand like Google Assistant or Siri or Alexa or whatever it is, Cortana, that it should always be able to do the same stuff because people's expectation is everywhere I go, this thing is following me around and able to help me with all the things that I... The idea that someone's going to understand the Google Assistant on the phone is different than Google Assistant in the Google Home is, to me, just fundamentally ridiculous. Uh, no, look, I agree with you. Uh, although I will say thoughtful people that I respect there say... It is you. You have to rethink these things very carefully when your interface is voice only, yeah, and your answer back is voice only. And I can understand that, but the basic, but, answer, but just getting it the wrong. basic answer should not be wrong. Now, by the way, I, I, I want to point out I did mention a few minutes ago that the answer was also wrong on the Pixel phone. Oh. So. This is, I guess, a wrong answer that Google Assistant has about the drugstore, the pharmacies. <laughs> and, it, and it was their idea for me to ask the question. Here's another example where Google Home wasn't as good as Alexa, despite this being Google's business. 
I asked it how the polls were in the election, where the polls stand in the election. I asked it four different ways. How are the polls in the election? What are the polls saying about the election? Alexa is wired, and this is a relatively recent addition, but they did it because, of course, the elections are coming up. They're wired to give you the results verbally, vocally, because that's the only way they can do it, from a, a site called Real Clear Politics, which has been around a long time and is a bipartisan, widely respected site that averages out the polls. And the Google Home just had no clue. Now, Google has, when I told them this, well, uh, you know, before I wrote the column, they said, well, we need to work on that. And they have since gotten back to me and said that somewhere between now and the election, which is what, a week? Yeah. Uh, less thank than a God. week? <laughs> yeah, so, thank God. But it's, I mean, it's coming. Yeah. They, will, they will be able to answer essentially, they gave me about four or five questions, but it boils down to essentially who's winning and who, or who won. Yeah. Seriously? I mean, really? You bring out a product in November and you don't have a way to check the polls on it, uh, you know. On the other hand, Google Home could do a bunch of things Alexa couldn't, you know. I asked it, when was Jimmy Fallon on Saturday Night Live? Gave me a detailed, I mean, a really detailed answer. When did he start? It told me when he started. It told me when he quit. It told, you know, whatever. And it told me when he took over the Tonight Show. I didn't even ask that. It was all in the answer. So that gave me a very interesting answer. It also, uh, as with the assistant on the Pixel, uh, can carry on a conversation without you having to constantly repeat the subject. Um, so I, in, in, in this case, I asked about Abe Lincoln. Where was Abe Lincoln born? And then I said, you know, who was his wife? Yeah. A um, few other things like that. And it, and it just kept doing it. The only annoying thing was I had to keep saying, okay, Google in between, which you don't on the phone. So let's talk um, about that for one second. By the way, I, I do want the listeners to stop and imagine – Walt having a long conversation with a robot about Abe Lincoln, because that is incredible. Um, <laughs> but let's talk about OK Google for a second is the wake word. This, yeah. to me, when I'm saying there's all these little things about these vessels that make them actually quite different, the fact that it's OK Google as the wake word and not Alexa is actually makes it a meaningfully different experience. And I got yesterday, Whoa, uh, wow. yesterday Dan and I talked about it with way too much granularity. And there's another one that you can use, which is Hey Google. Hey Google, yeah. And Dan says, well, that one's fine because it's three syllables and Alexa is three syllables. And OK Google is bad because it's four syllables and that's why you don't like it. But I think Alexa is a much nicer word to say. It makes the product seem like it, you know, it has a personality. And saying Hey Google or OK Google just it's not it's clean to me what what did you think what about, about hey siri That's you know i keep syllables. trying to use hey siri and i'm sitting here and my phone's right here and i just said it phone does never does anything i i, oh, mine I, does. I have a 50 percent hit rate with hey siri so I, I i like hey siri as a wake word i think again it, i think it's a good name it's easy to say I, google wanting you to talk to google just oh that's there's what something you. wrong yeah. about that i think you feel like you're talking to a company yeah and it's just I not, see. I mean, I get I why see. they can't just have it be Google. Okay, so I have to, I have to say here, since since I wrote a column that basically says, you know, it's not really substantially better than, than this Echo mm -hmm. product that's been out a long time that they have, have presumably studied, uh, had all this time to study, had all this data, had all this knowledge base, and they couldn't do a clearly superior product. I mean, it's, it's like you're in a tight World Series game. 
we've seen a few of those lately. Yeah. And your you have the you, you know your your absolute star all star batter comes up to the plate, and you expect that guy to win the game or to at least hit a home run or do something dramatic that's game changing. That's Google, and it didn't do it. Instead, it hit a double. Yeah, and a double is respectable, but it's not game changing. Yeah, and I mean it can be, I suppose, but I mean it's 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 not game changing. And uh, so I wrote you know a non rave review of this thing, to, yeah. to to say the least. Having said that, I don't think it's all that important that the lights move in a different way. Uh, on a plastic top instead of swerving around to look at you <laughs> as they do on the Echo, which I repeat, I think is kind of an evil, almost evil gesture. <laughs> I love it. And and, <laughs> and uh, the fact that you have to swirl with your fingers to change the volume instead of physically turning a thing, uh, those things don't bother me very much. I do kind of get what you say about the okay Google or hey Google thing. I don't know. This may be a different granular discussion than you had with Dan, but I think it's because you're talking to the company. Yeah. I mean, the other guys are not making you say, hey, Microsoft or hey, <laughs> Apple or, you know. One of these days, Apple's going to hey, Amazon. Say, hey, Amazon. Hey, yeah. hey, hey, Bezos. <laughs> That'd be great. Tell me this, you know. And so you, you feel as a person less like you're talking to Skynet. Yeah. I think is is the is what you're is that's what you're trying to say. I'm trying to help you because yeah. you haven't slept. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you're trying to help me make even a little <laughs> bit of sense. No, I think that's right. I I think Google is just a it's a company. It carries so much weight to you know they've done a good job of building the Google brand. I don't think that you want to talk to a company when you're in your living room and you just want to listen to some music or you want to set a timer. I think. I get why they're doing it. They want to reinforce that this is the new way that Google is going to be in your life. It's going to be an always-on ambient assistant that's all around you. Help I get I get all of it, but just fundamentally, it's it's less fun to say, less easy to say, and it carries all of this weight. And I think Alexa is pleasant to say. And it doesn't carry the weight of Amazon one day hopes that you use it to buy things from Amazon. They're ob you know they're already doing a little bit of that, and they're obviously going to layer in more of it. But it's a much more personal, if you can call talking. To so they're going to trick you. Personal. They're going to trick you into feeling better about buying things from Amazon. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it it anthropomorphizes the the thing, and I yeah, that's important. It, does, it, it lets does. you have a relationship with it, and I you have a so, relationship with Google, and I don't think. That that relationship extends into it being in your life like that. It at the Google Home actually looks less menacingly robotic <laughs> than the Echo. It looks that like it looks like it belongs in your house. It has interchangeable colored bases. My wife and I have just learned before we went on before we started to record this podcast. Dan Seifert's wife had the same feeling. Um, it was better looking and yeah. more something that not 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 just women, but I think both. You know, people in general would would probably feel are is a is an object that fits better into the decor of the house. Yeah, and I think Google. You know, everyone made fun of it when it came out the home that it looks like an air freshener, and I think Google told Dan and I think they they told Dieter in the past that they're they're cool with that. It should blend in and be completely inoffensive, and you know, just just fade away until you're talking to it. I mean, I put it. I since moved it around, but I. But I put it next, right next to the Echo, which happens to be on our uh, kitchen counter. And my wife, who tries her best to ignore whatever I'm doing 
running around the house testing crap. I made her stop and give me her judgment about this. And she said, I'd much rather have that on the counter than the echo. And then I stopped because I don't want to get into the discussion of when is the echo going away. But um, no, and I put one in our family room and it where it looks better than the TiVo and the other stuff I have in there. So, you know, I think they did a good design job. And on function, I, I I need to say here that there were a number of things they did that the Alexa couldn't do and not just Abe Lincoln conversations. I mean, if I asked it who was running for president, Alexa gave me the major party candidates. Yeah. Google gave me the major and the principal third party candidates, which is a better answer. And and Google gave me a better answer in a number of cases. What, what shocked me was it didn't give me a better answer in more than those cases. Yeah. And I do hold them to a higher standard on this. So I would say I was really surprised. I don't, I don't, I don't know how you, how you felt about it, but I was really surprised that it was kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, same. And Google made a big deal about the speaker being really good, and I think the no, the, the echo, echo speaker, speaker is not is great. Better. And I think the echo, and it's not great, but it's I think it's better than the home speaker. Yeah, and my my wife and I, I mean, I made her participate in judging that too. Yeah, and she said the same thing that I felt, which was, you know, it's a pretty decent small music speaker. It can get loud. It's not as good as our Sonos, but it's okay. Yeah. But the Echo was at least as good as a music speaker, and. It was voice that bothered us. The voice coming out of the Google one. And this is, I don't want to make a huge deal out of this. This I wouldn't say this is a deal breaker, but the voice coming out of uh, uh, of the Google Home speaker was a, just a teeny bit fuzzy compared yeah. to the voice coming out of the Echo, right? Did you hear that? I did. I, they're, they're mediocre speakers in different ways. I think the Alexa, I keep calling it the Alexa, the Echo is tinny, which is great for voice. So it sounds really sharp and clear, and music kind of has no kind of low middle to bass in it. The home has like terrible high end and is pretty mid rangey. And so everything sounds a little muffled to me. And voice, because it lacks that sort of high end clarity, is, it kind of fuzzes out. And it just, it, I'm telling you, if you are, if you hate tinny speakers, you're not going to like the Echo. And if you hate, fuzzy speakers you're not gonna like the it just like depends i turned treble up in yeah. the car so maybe that's why i like i like the echo but you're right i mean there's just an, just enough these are really granular things we're yeah. talking but about I'm, but, but if you're if we're saying that these are the vessels i think these granular things they they make a difference as they add up right because yeah. Presumably, there's going to be a, you know a whole array of Google Home products one day. Although, if it didn't send me to the Minute Clinic, <laughs> as pretend it was a pharmacy, yeah. I'd feel better about it. Well, so uh, we, look, I want to just bring up this is obviously Google's first shot at this. Google, you know, they're all in on Assistant. They're clearly going to improve it. They're all in on you know this concept. They're going to. I I would not be surprised if. There was an ecosystem of Google Home products in the future. But the Alexa, I did it again. I got to stop it. This is yeah. the power of a great brand with Alexa. Uh, the Echo is, it's been on the market for, what, two years now? Um, yeah. I actually have your sort of first review uh, from last year, July 7th, 2015. And at the end of it, and I, I just want to bring this up because it's really interesting. At the end of it, you, you did this in QA format. And the question is, did I make a mistake buying my Echo? 
and your answer, Walt's answer from last year was, I don't necessarily think so. In our house, it's been pretty nice to have in the kitchen, if only for the on-demand, hand-free newscasts and music. Plus, Amazon is serious about improving the Echo. It just issued a developer's kit and established a fund to underwrite new apps. In that time, the Echo's... They're called skills. That The number of skills has exploded. The number of integrations has exploded. I am very excited about Alexa and Sonos being able to talk to each other. So you can, you know, we just had this yep. whole conversation about speakers. So you can say, play some music, and it plays on my good speakers around the house. They have built a big ecosystem around this assistant. And so, yes, there's but the one vessel, but now it's going into all these other places. Google doesn't have any of that yet. They have a little bit... Uh, they have a, a little range of smart home integrations. Um, you know, they're going. They obviously own YouTube, so you can cast YouTube to a Chromecast. They say they're going to have Netflix, but it's not. That ecosystem isn't there yet. And so, all these little criticisms we're making, Google has to build that ecosystem. They have to make sure it gets the right answer when you ask it for a pharmacy. They have to do all of this work. And I think the question is whether Amazon can stay ahead and add even more ability and capability to Alexa and the Echo while Google ramps quickly to meet meet the existing feature set of Amazon's product. And there's another question, which is we're talking as if these are going to be the only two contenders in this market. Mm-hmm. It, there are rumors that, uh, and they're just rumors, that Apple and Microsoft are thinking about making these kinds of things. I think it would be trivial for Apple to make one of these. Whether it would be good or not is a different question. But uh, because Siri has its issues, but, you know, it would not be hard for them to make one and to make one that was good looking. Uh, and I'm sure Microsoft could, too, the, sur- you know, Surface, Surface Home, whatever it would be called. They could do it. Yeah. Um, it would not, you know, Samsung just bought Viv. Viv is a non-exploding artificial intelligence <laughs> company uh, that was founded by the people that invented Siri. Mm-hmm. who were uh, became unhappy at Apple and left. And Samsung knows how to build the hardware, you know, the spe- the intelligence speaker hardware part of this. And now they have artificial intelligence experts they own that work for them. So they could be in the game. And so I, I, I just think we may, we may wind up with a choice of five or six of these things, not just two of them. Yeah, and I, I think... You know the hardware of these things is perhaps more important to me than to you. But the real the real game is going to be in the capability of the 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 back end, the virtual assistant, and that is still I think up for grabs. Anyhow, this episode of Control Alt Delete is brought to you by Mailchimp. Twelve million people use Mailchimp to connect with their customers, market their products, and grow their e-commerce businesses every day. Mailchimp has been around since two thousand one. The company started as a side project funded by various web development jobs, but now they're the world's leading email marketing platform. They send more than a billion emails a day. They democratize technology for small businesses, creating innovative products that empower their customers to grow. When you connect to your store with one of MailChimp's hundreds of e-commerce integrations, you can create targeted campaigns, automate helpful product follow-ups, and send back-in-stock messaging. Learn what your customers are purchasing, and then send them better email. MailChimp will also analyze the purchase history of each customer to make smart, data-driven predictions about what they'll want to buy in the future. It's enterprise-level technology made simple for everyone. Just drag and drop. And sending personalized product recommendations to your customers increases sales in just a few clicks. MailChimp detects purchasing patterns in your e-commerce data and then uses them to automatically predict your customers' buying behavior so you target the right people with the right products. 
With MailChimp, you also get enterprise-level automation without any of the headaches. You can send an onboarding series to introduce new subscribers to your business or organization. You can automatically follow up with customers after a purchase, recommend other products that they love, and you can surprise your best customers with a coupon triggered by their shopping behavior. Remind customers of products they left in their cart and encourage them to come back and complete that transaction. You re-engage your inactive subscribers. And from WordPress to Facebook, Shopify to Magneto, MailChimp integrates with the apps and web services you use every day. So connect your MailChimp account with hundreds of powerful web services. When you sync those applications you use to run your business and break down data silos between platform, your workflow becomes more efficient. That extra time lets you focus on increasing engagement and revenue. Anyway, it's MailChimp. Go try it out. It's great. MailChimp. Send better email. Sell more stuff. That's the home. Let's move on. Let's talk about this MacBook, MacBook Pro, I should say. MacBook uh, Pro. So you wrote your home column on it. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna start at the start. I know you hate the the 12 inch MacBook keyboard. Apple says they made this is the second generation of that keyboard in the Pro. It the keys aren't necessarily shallower, but they they feel better according to Phil Schiller. What do you, what do you think? I think I loved it. You um, did. It is dramatically different to me. Huh. Now, they, you say they're the second generation. Are they sure? Aren't they the third? I don't know. Whatever. They. I thought they made a tweak. Maybe they didn't when they brought out the second generation of that MacBook. They didn't change the keyboard? No, it's pretty know. much exactly the same. Okay. Well, then, whatever they did, and I asked them, and they said a little bit hardware, but also a little bit software. Because, because you know, this is a... This is a kind of a – the keys don't actually even move, I, I think, right? Or they move – they just feel like they move. No, the, um, the keys move. The, the keyboard – They move, the but they feel like they move. move more. Yeah. I think the keys key, – anyway, whatever they did, I didn't even have to get used to it. I just found it so much different for me than typing on the small MacBook. That is just not so, what I expected at all. Well, I gotta it's say. true. Uh, it's true. But I switched uh, between the 12-inch MacBook – and my 15-inch old MacBook Pro, and so I the the I mean that's just a universe of difference because the the Mac the old MacBook Pro had a um, had more tr- key travel than even the MacBook Air, and I think you were a MacBook Air user, so you were already in the yeah. middle. And so to me, this is one tick up. It might it might have taken it to where the MacBook Air was, but it's certainly not nearly as much as the Pro. I like it as well. I think I'm faster on it, but. You know, if you love the big clicky keys, this this thing is definitely something different. But you like it. Yeah, I, I do. I do like it. And let, let us explain to the readers that I will be reviewing and I think Dieter maybe who's going to do, be doing it, the Verge review. Yeah, of the, the touch bar. version of this with the touch bar, which is this passive OLED screen at the top of the machine that has lots of productivity features on it and replaces the function rows. As we are recording this podcast, our reviews are not on that, are not published. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, stay tuned. So what I've been working on, what you've been working on, as you, I think you, you indicated earlier, is the base version of the new MacBook Pro, which uh, has a standard row of function keys, even actually a little squeezed in size row of function keys, uh, but standard in their function and the fact that they're actual physical keys. And uh, so what you get to test is uh, the ports and the speed and the screen and the keyboard and the overall how you feel about the size and the weight and all that. And I have to say, as a person whose main I, – I do own – I should point out I do own a 13-inch MacBook Pro with Retina screen. 
But my primary machine that I carry around and use for production mm-hmm. uh, is a MacBook Air. Yep. And uh, this computer is substantially, it's now a three and a half year old MacBook Air. This uh, new MacBook Pro is vastly more powerful, weighs the same, is physically, has a smaller footprint, it's thinner. Uh, it has a retina screen. I mean, a really good retina screen with a yeah. big, wide color color gamut on it, and uh, it's just you know the one thing. I, and I haven't done my formal battery test because I'd prefer to do it on the one with the touch bar, since that may affect battery life. I don't know, but I suspect it won't have quite the battery life as a new out of the box MacBook Air which when I tested it, uh, had 12 hours at one point. I don't think it'll do, they're not claiming 12 hours and I don't think it'll get 12 hours, but I've had no problem with battery life on it and I've been carrying it around and using it. It It's the same weight as the MacBook here, it's just not tapered, so, but yeah. it's thinner. And when, you, when I put my MacBook here next to it, which I'm, I suspect you also did, I thought it would be, much fatter than the tapered thin end of the air. And when you consider the, the little footrest things that are underneath, it's about, it's, the, it's, it's about the same thickness, even at the thin end of the MacBook Air, at least thickness off the tabletop. And, uh, on, and it's thinner on, uh, on, the, on the thick end. So it's a relatively small computer with a lot of power in it. Yeah. And... Uh, the model, the version that we're able to test right now has only two ports. These are USB-C ports, but with a bus called Thunderbolt 3 mm-hmm. behind them, uh, which can do pretty much anything, right? Audio out, video out, charging. Yeah, it's whatever. actually the the Thunderbolt 3 USB-C. And I, I, I kind of want to get into the reaction here too, but the the complexity of it is masked by the simplicity of the port. So, you know, Apple gave me a 13-inch MacBook Pro, the same one Walt has with the function keys, not the touch bar. And I, you know, I loved it. I use it. I'm, I play it. And I get to my desk at work, and I've got a big display on the desk. And they gave me a bunch of dongles. And I plugged in the one that takes USB-C to Thunderbolt 2, which is the same connector as mini display port that my monitor uses. I plug it in, and nothing happens. Why does nothing happen? Because the mini display, the Thunderbolt 2 port on my old Mac supported mini display port over the same connector, but the dongle I had only is Thunderbolt 2. It's not mini display port. I mean, it's, that is, it's, it, yeah. it, 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 I love that it's, you know, on, you know, on the, on the MacBook Pro's a touch bar. I love that it's four seemingly universal ports, but the array of connectors and things you need to know about how those ports work is vastly more complicated than having multiple different ports because right. it's it's just super complicated. And we're going to talk more about the MacBook uh, Pro next week when yeah. we have had a chance to use the the real big innovation in it, which is this touch bar. But And we, I mean, look, the truth is we both have used the touch bar for short periods of time. Yep. I, I actually liked it quite a bit for 20 or 30 minutes, but we'll have more of a... a, a of a chance to, to, to try it out. So I think with this product, you have to split it into two parts, three parts. First, how is it as a computer? Just as a computer for normal, average people who are looking as people do now 
to you know keep it for X years, to do lots of different uh, things on it, many of which are not going to stress the uh, capabilities of the computer or the software. I think it's like excellent on that score. I, I think the size, the shape, the screen, the power, the battery, keyboard, all that stuff, it's a beautiful uh, computer. Yeah. So that's one thing, and I think we agree on that. The second thing is the ports. Here, Apple has gone and done what Apple has done any number of times. And I, got, I don't want to talk about the damn headphone port <laughs> on the bring phone. It up. But, bring it up. That's but all you it's, all. A, it's an example, the <laughs> floppy disk, whatever. Yeah. Amp Apple has said, this is the future. In this case, it's not uh, wireless so much, but it's this is the future. And by the way, it's not just Apple. I mean, the Pixel phone has this port. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, you know, I mean, the, all kinds of Windows laptops have it. Yeah, look, yeah, this yeah. Thing I mean, is the, the future. And, I'm all and in it was on this, it. And, it, and it's not some weird Apple invention. Yeah. I mean, Apple, Google, Microsoft, HP. I mean, all these people, I may be, I don't know about HP, but I think HP no, is on it. this committee. They're all on this committee. They all did this. Intel, everybody. I mean, this is, you're going to. Listeners to the podcast, if you don't like the USB-C port, go to your store and buy all the laptops you can find right now. (laughs) Because in two years, years, everything's going to have this. (laughs) And it's just that Apple being Apple, as Apple always is and has been and probably will be, has decided to push... You know, I have have your old original Intel MacBook (laughs) Pro review. Right. March 2nd, 2006, Wall Street Journal. Ten years ago. Ten years Ten ago. Ten years yeah. ago. MacBook Pro offers promising start to era of Intel-powered Apple. And Walt goes through, you know, he reviews the whole thing. And then right here at the end, <laughs> I'm just going to read it. It's ten years ago. But the MacBook has fewer ports than the PowerBook did. <laughs> and it has a new, narrower, industry-standard card slot. Unfortunately, no cards have been redesigned to fit it. <laughs> <laughs> Here we, it's ten same same story ten years later. New yeah, industry but in standard a few, that, in a couple of years that yeah. slot probably was common. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, they just say the hell with it. We're just gonna go. <laughs> this is what we've all agreed on. This is the future. Boom! The future is now. We yeah. have spoken. So here's and, here's the question. And I'll the ask problem you with that is it, the problem with that is they they don't. They don't know how to compromise. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, would it have killed them to put an SD slot in this computer? Yeah. No, it wouldn't have killed them to do that. Would it have killed them to put, like, one regular USB or a mini display or something, you know? Yeah, saying, yeah, we recognize this is the future, and maybe next year when we rev this, we'll pull the the legacy port out. But let's, you know, but their idea is we're ripping the bandage off entirely yeah. right now and one once and this is what you get. And by the way, you know, four USB-C ports is pretty great. I don't think there is another computer with four USB-C So that's ports. on the pros. Here's the question. And it, 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 it cuts across a lot of things. I think next week, we're going to talk about the Pro with a touch bar, and that is the Pro machine, right? It's the way more expensive one. Yeah, well, that you're getting into my third thing yeah. that I was going to say. Oh, sure. Which is pros, people that we call pros, people that spend all, uh, and we have a lot of colleagues who do this at uh, at uh, Box Media. They edit video, they edit audio, they, they do Photoshop. fantastic photo editing and photo 
presentations. They make The Verge and 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 many other of our products look beautiful. Uh, and not just us. I mean, you know, they're throughout companies and industries. There's 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 graphics and video and photo people uh, and art artists and people that are generally called creatives everywhere. And these people have traditionally been the audience for the MacBook Pro and they're up in arms because of the things like no SD card slot. I mean, photographers the, are really mad about the SD card slot. Photographers are really mad about that. Can you get a dongle with an SD card slot on it? Yes, you can. Do people like to use dongles? No, they don't. Right. So that annoys the hell out of them. So let's Let's push that all to next week because we'll, we'll have the pro machines. Right. You know, we will. We can do the performance testing, which is another big issue on the on the true pro machines. This one, uh, and Vlad's review of this one is on the site today, and his headline is The Air Apparent. And so Apple has left the 999 Mac, 13-inch MacBook Air in their lineup. That's the cheapest laptop you can get into unless you are at a school, in which case you can get the 11-inch one. But for most people, the cheapest one is 999 Then they have this one, the 13-inch, and with no touch bar, the function keys. $14.99. And then there's the ones with the touch bar. I'm con- I'm interested, confused is another word that you could use, why they didn't just call this one the MacBook Air and say yeah, and it's that basically was- the same product without the touch bar. If you're an Air user, this is a revolutionary upgrade for you. It's smaller. It's more powerful. It has a retina display, actually a beautiful retina display. MacBook Air users aren't like port heavy. You know, that's that's their consumer computer. And I think you're right. Most consumers never plug anything into their laptops. They charge them and that's it. Why not just call this the Air and say, look, this this is for the standard consumer and everyone would have been happy with it. And it would have been a revolutionary upgrade over the Air. And then, you know, the people who are unhappy on the pro side, that's like a different set of problems. I, I, I just kind of don't see it. Well, I have to say that um, I thought Vlad was correct. And I think you, uh, you're you also correct if you agree with Vlad. Vlad, <laughs> and I think you do, which is they could have called it the Air. They could have said it, it's the new MacBook Air. It's it's airy in the same. I mean, the, hell, they could have walked down a stage and pulled it out of a manila envelope. Yeah. Which is how Steve Jobs... Uh, stunningly introduced the MacBook Air, a very famous moment, in, not only in Apple history, but in a, in a way in, in laptop history, uh, pulling a what, what, what was a you know, rugged, powerful, versatile, uh, not a toy kind of a laptop, because there have been smaller, more toyish things, netbooks and things. He pulled a real laptop made of metal out of an envelope, and that was the MacBook Air. And, and and since that was in 2008, and people have been chasing it since then. This is, as I said, thinner. It's the same weight. It's way more powerful. It has a retina screen, and it, it is the real successor to the MacBook Air. The Touch Bar one, next week when we do talk about it, we should separate the issue of the Touch Bar, which is fascinating in and of itself. There are pros, there are cons, whatever. Um, you know, I'm inclined to like it based on my very quick use of it, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's the question of, you know, does this meet the needs of pros? And it's a little hard for me personally to judge that, but these people are uh, up in arms and 
they must have some good reason for that. I mean, I as have far not as I, seen... I can, I mean, it's way more powerful. If if these pros were using the old MacBook Pro, this is, I mean, just on the specs, it's a huge improvement, right? It is, and it isn't. You know, they there well, give are... me why it. Where's the isn't? So, it's things like ports. That's part of it. It's things like the escape key is gone. So, like hardcore. No, that's not true. The escape. Well, it's key there, is there, but it's a soft key. It's not. Right? So what? What well, is it the, mat- people? Like, what is devel- the our developers, difference? for example, of Vox Media? They push escape in their terminal windows a lot. So they having it shift depending on where you are. Whatever. It's it's just these little things where for ninety nine percent of people, how do they it's know? The fact because that, they haven't touched it yet. Whether the escape key will be there when terminal is running? No, I'm. It what may I'm well be there. It's the gone whole from a hardware key to a software running. key, and that has some. I know. Impact I, I on just, your life, right? Just, like I, it's all. It's just changes that have impacts on workflows for pros. And by the way, um, it's just software. So if Apple doesn't give you the opportunity to always have it there, if that's what you want, there'll be a terminal command within a minute of its release that will let you do it. I mean, here's an example, uh, much less important. Uh, The new MacBook Pro is the first Mac in forever that doesn't have the famous Mac chime Mm -hmm. that starts up the Mac, maybe ever. And yet, somebody's already published a terminal command to put it back. Sure, sure, sure. Um, So you you can, that that touch bar is controllable. There's, there are APIs published for it. Third parties. Well, really. okay. I got us distracted with the escape key one. I'm just saying these are the kinds of things people are reacting to. They're reacting to the fact that it doesn't have the newest Intel processors in it. That it doesn't have uh, what 32 gigs of. You can't get it with 32 gigs of RAM. Yeah, like, right. There are things about these computers. Well, they that may have decided to go more mainstream to. with this machine. Yeah, they may have actually decided that it's the replacement for the MacBook Air, uh, even though. I thought they thought that the MacBook, the little 12-inch machine, was the replacement for the MacBook Air. But it really isn't because the part of the genius of the MacBook Air was that it was small and light and thin, but but not no it was there was no used the real powerful uh, you know Intel processors. And in fact, it was the first. It, it was by about a month the first computer with uh, SSD. Uh, instead of a uh, you know mechanical hard drive, uh, there was a ThinkPad that came out uh, either a month before or a month after, whatever, which also had that. But you know the innards of the thing were state of the art for as long as you weren't trying to edit video in a serious way. Yeah. Uh, so I I think this new MacBook Pro is going to – it may be that Apple just decided we're going for a broader audience for, with this. And maybe – so maybe the pro people will desert them and they'll deserve it. Maybe they figure they'll lose X percent of the pro people but they'll pick up a bunch of other people. Not at these prices but you know they always <laughs> start. Look, you have my old column. What did the MacBook Pro cost in 2006? The base model. Uh, it was very expensive. It was two thousand dollars for a one point eight three gigahertz processor, five twelve, five hundred twelve megabytes of memory, and an right. eighty gig hard drive. Uh, and the up model at twenty four ninety nine was a two gigahertz processor, uh, a whole stonking gigabyte of memory, and a hundred gig hard drive. And it weighed five point six pounds. Yeah, I mean, look, in ten years they've obviously gotten there. What I'm, I, I I'm saying. 
I think the the model that we have been playing with for the past however many days, uh, about a week, I think it's a very it's a it's an excellent upgrade if you are a MacBook Air user and you're like, where's my next computer? You have two choices. You can go even thinner and lighter to the MacBook, or you can get, you know, around the same kind of physical package, a little bit tighter uh, in the new MacBook Pro. And I think you'll be very happy in either direction, depending on what you prioritize. If you are somebody with a 15-inch MacBook Pro who cranks away in Photoshop all day, you're a photographer, whatever, I don't think the next choice for you makes you as guaranteed happy as the heir to to yeah. base model MacBook. No, I, I think I think you're probably right. But I it's a little hard for me to it's hard for me and maybe it's not hard for you, but I think it I think it's not clear just how important that memory thing is compared to the fact that on five or six other vectors the performance, uh, at least what they're claiming to be the performance, is way better. Right. Way better. I mean if you're for instance, a, a photographer or a photo editor or a video editor, how important is you that, is it to you that the screen color accuracy and gamut uh, is so much better? I mean, really, why isn't that super important? Why isn't that like an amazing? Because it was already pretty you? good on your MacBook Pro, right? Like, and now it's great. Yeah. And why isn't that a great thing? I, I think the capability set is is just one of those things. I, I, I think it's going to be interesting. We're going to get them. I'm going to make sure that our video people use them and our photo people use them. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll round out that review with that pro perspective. But I think that's going to be the thing to talk about next week. I think this week what we've been playing with is the next generation. Okay, so let's stick with this week. Yeah. This week, the base model of the MacBook Pro, which in case somebody asks, I am not doing a separate review of the base model. I'm going to review the Touch Bar one next week. But if you want a very good review of it, read The Verge today because Vlad Sabov did a great review of it. Mm -hmm. But I think we have both agreed, and we should just say it again, it's an excellent computer. They've yeah. done an, they've made an excellent computer that you're going to have to shell out 1500 bucks for, but it's an excellent computer. And uh, on the keyboard question, where I have been a big critic, I think whatever tweak they made to this, and they, they did announce right off the bat that they had tweaked it to give it a, a, a better feel and a better sense of travel. I'm using the word sense of travel because mm -hmm. it does have some real travel, but I think there's something in there that makes you feel like it's actually traveling more than it is. Whatever, whatever they did, I like it better. Mm -hmm. And I had no, I wasn't making any more typos than I, in fact, I might've made fewer typos than normal on it. I mean, really, it was quite good. Yeah, Vlad liked it too. Uh, and the, you know, the gigantic, immense touchpad, I like too. I mean, I, I, Apple is the best at the touchpads. Yeah. And this is even more. So it's a it's a great computer. And the question of matching it up with particular audiences is going to be really interesting. I think you, you stated the case for the general audience, the MacBook Air user, very, very well. You know, have these two choices and, uh, you know, it, that's good. More choice is good. Yeah. I mean, I'm a spoiled brat, so I think my move is to have the 15-inch Pro that I use as the work, the work computer at the office. And then I'm, I'm going to hold on. I have this, you know, I have Dieter's ancient first-generation 12-inch right. MacBook, which I think is the greatest plain computer ever made. So uh, that's going to 
Airplane computer. Airplane computer. I think it is. It is. It, there, I literally sat next to a guy. Did I ever tell the story in this podcast? I'm very sleepy. I sat next to a guy on the way home from the event, and I had my 12-inch, uh, from the Apple event, I had my 12-inch MacBook on the tray table, and he had an iPad Pro with a Bluetooth keyboard, and he was like, screw this, I'm getting that. Like, it, it is, there's something just beautiful about that computer when yeah. you're traveling. So I'm going to continue to be spoiled. Luckily, you had not told that story before in this podcast. Oh, well, there so. you go. Yeah, he was he was very impressed. Anyhow, it seems like what we should do is spend some more time with these Touch Bar MacBooks and come back next week and talk about them. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> that's so, our promise to you, listener. That's it for us this week. There's way more to listen to. Dieter and I, uh, you might remember Dieter Bone. He's been mentioned on this show 10,000 times. Uh, Dieter and I are doing the Vergecast tomorrow. That looks great. Chris Plant hosts What's Tech, which has an all-new, updated, Pathways-inspired Verge icon. You can listen to that. That's wonderful. We also have, on Lauren Good has Too Embarrassed to Ask on the Recode side. Peter Kafka has Recode Media, which is great, and I encourage you to listen to it. Uh, and Kara Swisher has Recode Decode, which is also amazing. All that's on iTunes. Go find it. Rate it highly. Leave us comments. The whole thing. You five can, stars? Five stars. No fewer, no more. Exactly five. Go go put them on iTunes. We love it when you tweet at us. We particularly love it when you tweet us intros. So hit us up with that. Uh, and I think that's it. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much, Walt. One, one last thing. Yeah. Where's the nearest pharmacy? Pharmacy.